huge savings on new and previously leased furnishings. That's right, huge savings. At Court Furniture Clearance Center, choose from our wide variety of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. You'll find sofas from $199.99 and more. Everything in our 9,000 square foot showroom is Court certified, guaranteed, and in stock. Ready for delivery or to take home today. Visit our Chantilly Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy John is back, and also we got Joe Girard uh, week. Yeah. Actually, it now makes my intro false um, that I wasn't here for the last episode. I am not, as always, your host. I am, as almost always, your host now. I feel like 99%, <laughs> probably 99%, your host. 99% of all episodes since 2013. <laughs> I am your host. I got to fill in once, and uh, I hope it wasn't terrible. <laughs> it was good. No, actually, I, I, I listened to the whole thing. I, uh, I, don't, I don't typically listen to the entire podcast on the episodes that we actually record, since I've already lived it, but... Yeah, that episode, I listened to it in full. I really enjoyed it. It was, it was nice to see what a Syracuse football podcast about actual football might entail. Thanks <laughs> then to uh, Corey and Steve for, for filling in literally a couple hours before. I was like, uh, hey, SOS, who can hop on a podcast tonight? And they, I got like multiple, like four or five people who said they could. So that was very much appreciated. Made my life a lot easier. I'm glad it did. Yeah, everything turned out really well. Um, all right, with that in mind, we will revisit football in the second half of today. First and foremost, uh, Joe Girard, the probably best shooter in New York State history, one of the better New York State, uh, well, upstate New York kind of recruits. Um, this cycle, in most cycles, he's a three-star. I think he's going to get upgraded to a four-star. I know you alluded to that in Slack, too. Just based on the quality of offers he had, Duke, Notre Dame, there's word that Duke might have pulled the offer at some point, but who knows. Uh, but yeah, Duke, Notre Dame, Michigan, BC, and Penn State don't really count. Uh, but yeah, we got him. Uh, news magicians uh, Brendan Smith was on site to you know kind of capture the event. It was fun. It was great to get a hometown kid. It seems like he's already been anointed the next great one. I'm very concerned about that. Um, Dan, your thoughts? Um, I was happy we got him. Like at first, when when Joe Girard popped up on the scene. I was a little uh, speculative just based on the, the level of competition, which is probably the reason he's a three-star still. And, and you know, I, I think there's always a little extra or a lot of extra hype for an up, upstate kid, and I get it. Um, that being said, Duke, whether or not the offer ended up, like, being committable or whatever, and then Michigan, it definitely was. Uh, they don't just offer anyone. Same with Notre Dame. Like, those are three really, really good programs. So once you get a Notre Dame, Michigan, and, and uh, Duke, question mark, uh, offer sheet. I'm I'm very much in on taking you. So I was very happy to get Joe Girard. Uh, I we've harped on the shooting issues that Syracuse has had off and on a lot, and it seems like we're going a long way towards solving them with both Girard and and Buddy Beheim, who uh, supposedly or based on like everything we've heard in the off season, plus like the Midnight Madness showcase, uh, might already be the best shooter on the team, um, which is great. Yeah, which is awesome. Plus Braswell can shoot a little bit. O'Shea it sounds like is is up to shooting game a bit. So like. We're, we're definitely coming along in that area. And, I mean, anyone who can score 50 points a game at any high school level, like, that's absurd. So, and he's playing for a good, good AAU team in Albany City Rocks. He's done things, like, on that circuit at a very high level. So I, I think he's going to be a good player. Uh, very happy to have him. Hope people let him develop at the pace at which he should versus, like, saying he's going to be the next GMAC because you can already see that happening 
and that's unfair. Although, luckily, he's going to be joining a team with Buddy Beheim, so I think that that weird, like, hype is going to spread itself out over two players, and maybe that makes it a little more manageable. Yeah, I mean, you look at kind of... Like, I feel like Routens didn't come in with that sort of hype, in part because I think his dad's legacy kind of helped that, but I feel like since then, I mean, you look at, like, Cooney hype, obviously, and GMAC. Like, I, I do feel... You know that that kind of that the clamoring for for the great white hope here. I, I hope it doesn't result in some unrealistic expectations for Gerard. At the end of the day, you know he's still a three four star kid. He's not a sure thing, and that's not even to to doubt him. I, I have full faith that he's going to shoot very well for Syracuse, but I, I do hope that that the expectations stay in line with what he actually is and can be. I mean, I, I know I wrote that article at the end of Trevor Cooney's career, kind of about like. You know, expectations for him really outweighed what he was actually capable of. And, and I kind of put the onus on fans to really, you know, look at, you know, what were you, what exactly were you asking of him? Um, and, and at the end of the day, he actually did seem to deliver everything we asked of him and then some, and it still wasn't enough to win. And it wasn't enough to win over a lot of fans. Um, we're far from that point with Gerard, but yeah, I, I, I'm fine with SU turning into the Golden State Warriors. I think that, uh, Beheim seems to be on board with that. Obviously, we have some bigs, but it seems like we're just recruiting much better shooters, um, still quality defenders. I, I, I hope that the defense doesn't drop off at all with, with this, this bigger shooting emphasis. But at the same time, like since we have up to five spots available um, for this, this next class, I, I am pretty excited to see what these kids can do um, and, and how we, we have our first like really big class in a while um, kind of help change the, the the program a little bit and and change the outlook a little bit. Obviously, we come into this season with some big expectations, but in general, I feel like we've kind of been living paycheck to pay, paycheck, so to speak, with these teams over the last few years. So it's nice to be past the, sco- the scholarship sanctions and reductions and and moving on to you know being a regular functional program again that that recruits a combination of potential one and dones and also some you know three and four four year guys um, who become you know the the, the agitating everybody but us folk heroes that, that we we so long associate with this program yeah that plus like the like spooked by missing on like jim not even missing on just not recruiting like jim or Fredette, who i think Gerard actually alluded to like during his his thing last night and uh obviously Fredette was never i don't think he was even the recruit that that gerard it was or is but um it's good uh, like you alluded to i think the um Getting past scholarships, I think when this when the whole thing happened, I think we probably undersold what the impact of that would be on the program, and I I would say it didn't like ruin the program. Went to two Final Fours in a couple of years, so obviously things are okay, but um, I think it definitely had probably more of a negative impact than we uh, assumed it would. Uh, so it's very nice to get out of that and be able to take a guy like Joe Girard, who I think if we were still in the major scholarship reductions, we'd probably be uh, more loath to to use a, a, one of our limited numbers on, uh, considering some of the other guys we're recruiting. But it's really nice that those players, since you see these guys all the time, end up blossoming into really, really nice college players. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think we, we undersold, if only because we didn't see maybe the attrition that went with it. We, we didn't realize the extent to which we'd have to reposition our recruiting strategy. Like, SU's always done a nice job of... of of recruiting a good mix of one and done guys and those, you know, three and four year players, um, guys who could eventually make it to the NBA, but overall guys who, who are in it for the long haul, they might be ready for the pro game, but in all likelihood, they're very good college players, um, as, as they're kind of ceiling and, and maybe, you know, some international basketball, that's nothing to be ashamed of afterward. But, 
in recent years we've had to wait. And I mean, I know you've probably read Jim Beheim's uh, autobiography too, and he kind of talked about how like you know the program was never meant to uh, recruit solely against the Kansases and Kentuckys and UNCs and Dukes of the world. Um, you might win again one one of those kids of, here and there, but by and large, like you're not going to be up against those guys. Uh, so it, it's good to see us be able to you know, backtrack a little bit um, and go back to, to what we've done. doesn't mean that we're still not trying to get guys like Isaiah Stewart, uh, who's a big five-star guy, has offers from everywhere, is probably going to Kentucky. But um, it's good that we're able to establish classes based on talent like Gerard, talent like John Ball Ajak, who committed a week ago, um, and Bryson Goodine, who uh, committed a while ago, um, four-star guard. Like, already having these three guys in the fold, I feel like puts us in much better position than we've been in previous years we're really kind of either scrambling or we're really banking everything on you know a couple guys and if they don't work out see someone like jordan tucker um everything kind of goes to shit pretty quickly yeah no i appreciate the the kind of the shift we've had over the last couple years where for a while i'd say between like the dante green and the chris mccullough eras let's say um we were really shooting for the moon and we were battling for a lot of five-star guys and we got a couple we got Obviously, Dante, we got Johnny Flynn, who ended up being one, although he was not one when we landed him, I believe. Michael Carter-Williams turned into one, but wasn't at, f- at first. But then, like, Fat Mello was a huge recruit. Chris McCullough was a huge recruit. So we got our, our share, but the classes weren't always super well fleshed out. And then you have a guy like Chris McCullough, who gets hurt, what, 14 games into the year? Not even, I think, probably, like, nine games into the year. And yeah. then, you know, leaves, which I don't really blame him for. You, you know, he went and got his paychecks. But um, when you have that, it makes it hard I like being. I like identifying the guys, the five star guys, early on who you think you'll you'll have a shot with, sticking with them, not trying to get every one, and then pulling in these like three to four star guys. Because as we've seen in college basketball, there are a lot of ways to win a national title. Um, Duke and Kentucky haven't won that many, uh, all things considered, in the last couple of years. They've come close, and they, they the way they do things uh, puts them in the conversation every year. But it's not super uh, sustainable for most programs. But you look at Villanova. I mean, they're winning with the occasional five-star guy and a lot of three- and four-year really, really good college players. Um, Even Carolina. I mean, Carolina. Carolina very few one-and-dones, like yeah. almost none. So. And the Zags have done a great job with it as much as I, I like hate to, to compliment Gonzaga. All and Zaga does it with all the transfers, too, which is like kind of a unique thing they've been able yeah. to pull off. I mean, but there are a lot of different paths to, to kind of building the program that we want to see. Um, and, and again, all things considered, we've been to multiple Final Fours in the last couple of years. So it's, you know, it's not like we've been terrible. It's just that there's been a, a real depth concern, and hopefully all of these things kind of go towards fixing that. Of course. And to be honest, like I, I like you mentioned, there's different formulas. I think the fact that Jim Beheim's been able to go to the Final Four a couple times in the last five years, six years, goes to show like just how, how much more capable and pliable he is as a head coach than people will necessarily give him credit for. I mean, the, the, the stereotypical guy that we're describing, the stereotypical class that we're describing, like the one we're seeing now, that's the way that SU has done it most of the time. But you look at some of the most successful teams, and that's not at all what we had. I mean, the 2003 championship team was not that. It was led by a one-and-done. You know, it was predominantly, like, freshman and sophomore contributors on that team. So far from, you know, what you would consider a stereotypical great Syracuse squad. Um, I would say most of the, you know, kind of quote-unquote golden age 09 to 2013 teams, they had they had veterans on the squad, but they were also very youth-based. But, like, the, the final four squads here, like, a, a lot of them don't necessarily fit that mold either. Like, again, it goes to show what the, the gym 
Jim can adapt. I mean, he's not going to adapt the way Coach K has to the one-and-done era, but he is going to adapt to the situation and the cards that he's dealt and what he's been dealt uh, you know, with these sanctions, even if you don't agree with them, and I certainly didn't. I know you didn't, and most other Syracuse fans certainly didn't. He still managed to create teams that, that won a lot of games, won with defense. At times, they won with offense, too, depending on the squad and depending on the year. And, like, they still managed to, to look like Jim Beheim and look like Syracuse teams, even if the, the individual makeup of them um, look, look very, very different than that. Yeah, I, I think it's it's pretty commendable that he's been as adaptable as he's been. And obviously, you can say the same thing about Coach K, but when you have Duke to sell and you have, you know, you are Coach K, you can go and compete for every five-star guy. And really, like, that's just not the situation for 345 of the college basketball teams. And then once you take away, like, the uh, the Adidas uh, Adidas crew that was competing for a lot of the other five-star yeah. teams for a bit, uh, you know, things change. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with, it, with how things have gone. Um, and it's always nice. I think college basketball uh, commits are always, like, super uh, enthralling because they mean so much on an individual level versus, like, football commits, they happen more often. And a lot of them are very exciting, especially when you're competing for, for blue chip guys. But, you know, it takes them a while to get on campus. It takes them a while to produce. Where college basketball, there's this, like, uh, it, it's it's definitely a more immediate and more uh, impactful every time it happens, and they, they you know you only get a couple of years, so uh, I get I get the general uh, excitement overall, and I, I get why this the Joe Girard package has has turned into what it is. Uh, so hopefully it works out. Hopefully people are, are cool, and and he is uh, he is given the time to to develop and become the player that uh, he hopefully can. And uh, I'm not super worried about the defense. I think. Um, he is 6'1". He's not like he, he's not you know our, our prototypical two three zone top of the zone guy, but we've seen guys that sits one play decent defense up there. And also the fact that he is a like low level FBS football recruit makes me think he's probably a pretty damn good athlete, which is uh, I think a, a good sign. I mean, he got a two lane offer, so right away this was meant to be. What position is he? Was he a running back? If I remember correctly, or am I wrong? I, I can't totally remember. Oh, he's oh he's a quarterback. He's gonna oh he's quarterback. That makes sense. He, he, he is an Eric Dungy style dual threat. <laughs> And we got a two-lane offer, so they had him. They wanted him to run that that option. That's a, you know, that's an athlete position there. From, uh, from everything I've read up, it seems like he, he he is. I mean, he's not as like reckless as Dungy necessarily. I mean, I would. <laughs> it's hard. It's, it's hard to be. Who is the Who is the best of the Syracuse basketball equivalent of Eric Dungy, in terms of recklessness? Uh, I mean, Paul Harris did a lot of reckless things, but he also had the body to back it up. Uh, yeah, well, Dungy Dungy is not looking like completely non-Paul Harrisy. At this point, yeah, in his career. yeah, he's yeah. not as muscle. No, 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 that's totally fair. Yeah, because like Dungy, what Dungy does is the equivalent of trying to dunk from like a foot inside the three-point line. Oh, all the time, <laughs> which is a little Brandon Trish, but I wouldn't call him Brandon Trish. No, um, because Trish actually had like at the end of the day, Trish was more known for I think being a steadying force in that offense, who occasionally frustrated with his shooting. I don't know that we've ever had a bat, at least in my time. I don't know that we've had a, a Syracuse basketball player who was as much of a pure lunatic as Eric Dungy. And, and that's surprising. I figured we'd have one, but I can't think of one. Yeah, like... Dion a little bit, but like... He was more mercurial than anything else. Yeah, he was definitely more mercurial. And he wasn't like... On the, on the court, he was just pretty... You know, he was relatively composed. Yeah, I think Harris is probably like the best comparison. Like, I mean, admittedly, like maybe it's Devo. <laughs> Mm. Not like like not necessarily like the like like the demeanor at least 
is, is very, very Dieffendorf at this point. Like, like I, I can't, I can't disagree. <laughs> I like, I might even write a post about this at this point. That like, I feel like Dungey kind of like tripped and fell into the villain role here, and like Dieffendorf just embraced it. I think there's there's definitely some Devo. There's definitely a little bit of Paul Harris, although I think Paul was less consistently good yeah. than Dungey is. Um, I think there's a little bit of Andy Routens, um in terms of like the intensity, but Routens didn't do like the crazy, crazy stuff. So I, I don't think there's a perfect fit, but I think there there are definitely uh, there are definitely pieces of these players. And then yes, trying to dunk from like the free throw line and missing every time, but coming close, um, which is definitely something Dungey would do if he was on the basketball team. Uh, you definitely have your Brandon Trish, your uh, Chris Joseph had a couple of those. Yeah. There's always someone. You're, yeah, your you're Paul Harris tried to do that and then somehow end up four rows back on the other side of the court. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think Dodgy would ever would ever fail to secure like seven rebounds in a row like Paul Harris did in the fourth overtime of the UConn game. No. I think he would grab the rebound. I, I, I think, to be honest, though, like if you if you put Eric Dungy in the six overtime game, he would. There was no doubt in my mind. He would have been tossed out. Well, he would have yeah, he would have been tossed for one. But there's no doubt that if you if you put him in and let him be Eric Devendorf in this scenario, that the exact same shot and the exact same uh, stand on the table w- would have absolutely occurred. 100. percent But then he would have punched Tashim to beat in the face in the third yes. overtime and not rejected. Um, which might have made the game better. Like that would have really. Not that we need a lot to spice up the, the sits overtime yeah. game, but a full on like six foot three. Uh, dude punching up at like seven foot three hit team to beat would have would have really really put some sauce on it too um so i kind of wish that but demon got fouled out too early for that so yeah dungy dungy would have cursed at a ref he would have tried <laughs> he would have like Justin Thomas. yeah he would have tried to fight calhoun <laughs> i i almost want to like write like like revisionist history not just like sports just in general of like like if it like put eric dungy in like 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 a, like a like a fanfic like tra- time travel series of Eric Dungy just like <laughs> in different moments in history, and just like the the, the fights and excessive celebration penalties that he would elicit. <laughs> I like that we, we we consciously decided to start with the basketball news today. Yeah, but it is still October, so we hard went right. to this weird <laughs> this weird Eric Dungy fanfic. I mean, he's somebody who like I'm gonna want to write a book about, and it's never gonna happen. But like. He's he's gonna be one of those athletes that like, at the end of the time that he was there, no matter how successful or not successful he was, like, you're gonna have no idea what you just witnessed. You're gonna wish you had more of it, but also glad you don't have any more of it all at once. He's a very he's become one of the more entertaining uh, like Syracuse sports figures in recent vintage, because I mean and we've said this before. I I hope I'm wrong, but I feel like this all ends tragically. I just I, I don't know how and I don't know when, but I I feel like all of this ends all of this ends in a very weird way that leaves us really grasping at straws for legacy conversations. Yeah, I mean you can already get there just because of how the first three years have went and, and you know, it's not all his fault, obviously, because he's missed most of the bad parts of them. Yeah, I mean the legacy thing's gonna be interesting it just overall. I think if he makes a bowl this year it'll really solve a lot. Um, oh yeah, but he's just had a very weird college career. There's a really uh, weird I, season on top of it now. Yes, our biggest win was was largely helmed by Tommy DeVito. <laughs> yes, that's very fair. I think Dungy is destined to be one of those guys where I think Syracuse will remember him pretty fondly. Overall, he's destined to be one of those guys where like the the average college football fan is like, oh, remember him? And everyone's like, oh yeah, he was way fun. And that's gonna happen like once a year for like on Twitter. Uh, someone's gonna do like. You know, those weird, like, remember this guy posts. 
and it's never going to be like the most famous guy, but it's going to be like, yeah, he was a good player yeah. uh, or, for Syracuse. He made Syracuse worth watching a couple times. Well, yeah, so. or it's going to be like, oh, like anytime a quarterback like dives headlong into a pile. Like, All the Syracuse will be like, yeah, that was a very dungy moment. I feel like I feel like national Twitter, national football, college football Twitter is on board with that at this point, though. Oh yeah, he gets a lot more attention this year. I think I think his numbers are good enough where everyone's like, oh yeah, he's he's like a guy. Like I think most like good college football fans, not even crazy ones, but like pay attention to the national scene are very aware of who he is. I think like ACC fans too. Like I get like a couple tweets like a weekend at least of like. There'll be, like, the one thing that Dungy does, like, questionably, and everyone's like, wait, what? <laughs> like, like well, why did he just... Like, well, it helps that the ACC media is very on board. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the other thing, is that his his brand is, is very much in line with, with the ACC's brand. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully this year, with the ACC being what it is, and, and we could probably go into more of this in the second half, um, because now I feel like the other conferences have kind of come back to the pack, too, so I think the ACC is getting unfairly maligned this year. Not unfairly maligned, but unfairly maligned compared to like the Pac-12 and Big 12. I think, yeah, I, I, I think uh, he is definitely very represent, uh, representative of it. And hopefully that means that we will stay relevant through the second half of the season. I would very much like that, especially because like I keep thinking about like this week and what like what's at stake. This weekend's huge. Like, this weekend's huge and it shouldn't have been. Like, it, like you wouldn't, yes. you, you, didn't wanna, <laughs> yeah, you didn't want to lose no matter what. But, like this weekend's huge. It shouldn't have been. First of all, if we gotten it done against Clemson and Pitt, we're a top five team. Which is like, uh, I feel we, well, we, we would I, we would own the second best win of anyone in the country. An LSU, I assume you mean. Um, yeah, I feel like it would still we'd still be a little bit be outside. I think we'd be top. Oof, I have to look at the new eight people. Uh, so many teams lost. We'd have to be in the top ten. Right. I mean, Texas te- Texas leapt into the top 10 off of one win over Oklahoma, proceeded to, like, trip and fall and almost lose to Baylor, and then ESPN had... Texas, no, I know, but then ESPN had them top five, like, that night. Yeah. I think, well, this week was so weird that, like, barely beating Baylor was like, all right, well, <laughs> you didn't lose, so... That's what I mean. A bye week would have probably, like, would have probably just, like, launched us. Like, like NC State has proven, you know, my and our collective scheduling ethos completely correct let me look at nc state like 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 the the west virginia game got canceled they've literally faced nobody since like bc is the hardest game that they've had to play yet and yet they're a top 15 team and like could have potentially like had a game day game against clemson if if they hadn't gone with the preferable pick of wazoo i think i think if we'd beaten clemson well we'd clemson x we would be ahead of them um i think we'd probably be like number nine I think we'd be somewhere in that that like eight. I think we'd be amid like the Georgia Oklahoma uh, group. I don't know that we'd be ahead of them. Um, I think we'd be ahead of UCF for sure. I think we'd be in that range somewhere. Fair enough. I think yeah, it, it, we'd be there even if we were. But like even if we were five and one right now, a we'd be one win away from bowl eligibility, which great. B like as long as we got things done this week, it really wouldn't have mattered what happened to NC State against Clemson. Like Syracuse probably would have hosted game day next week if you look over the schedule there's not really a lot of ranked on ranked action so probably would have been us just because of the novelty of it like yeah i mean i'm trying to i'm looking down now i don't know where else like mississippi state is the only other like potential one for them in a&m yeah that's a that's a mediocre game day that's what i mean like Uh, like it would have been us because of the novelty 
Very possibly. I mean, they're going to Wazoo this weekend. It's not like Wazoo's great. <laughs> yeah, like ESPN. Uh, Georgia, Florida. Uh, they might have done that. Yeah, but at the same time, I, they do love novelty. They were good. They're probably going to end up at Georgia or Florida some some point this year. Yeah, but they do. I mean, they they've done they've done two two at uh, the They don't love doing it, but it's not out of the question. Yeah. But this isn't at Georgia, or Florida. Obviously, it's it's the yeah uh, in Jacksonville. It's Jacksonville. So I think that'll probably be the move for them. I don't know if they've gone there that often. Yeah, maybe not. Or they'll do like the weird like one double eight or the FCS game maybe. Um, Again, perfect opportunity for Syracuse. Yeah, I'm not saying we would definitely be. I think in that weird in that scenario, I think it's definitely like in play because there really isn't another. I think it has to be Florida Georgia right now. I don't know what other game you do like Mississippi State, uh, Texas A and M. Like, oh, okay, to to like borderline maybe ranked if the right week teams in the SEC. Like, that's not great. No, but yeah, that's that, I think that that that's one of the bigger bummers along with just not being ranked is the fact that we could, could have easily had a national showcase for what could have been SU's ascension this season, at least. I'm not making any, like, long-term predictions there. But, you know, even if, like, it just would have been a great opportunity. It, it's, it's now a, a potentially missed opportunity. Hopefully it doesn't matter because we, if we just win the games we're supposed to win going forward, we'll win seven or so and get to a bowl game and then... Try to build on that going forward. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I think we have a good chance to like rebound and get everyone's like nerves calm this weekend because I, I, I don't think that UNC is actually all that good, even though they played pretty well. And so who knows what Virginia Tech is? Who knows what any of these teams are? ACC is so dumb this year. <laughs> like, wildly, I don't dumb. know what to make of so many teams, including ours. Yeah, I, I think the ACC really doesn't know what it is, and like I mentioned, I don't really think NC State knows what it is either, and I think Clemson's going to beat them by. A significant amount because I think there's there's some things that no one on the NC State schedule yet would really be able to exploit. So it, it'll definitely be intriguing to see that. I think SU, you already know the, the top and bottom of what they can be, and, and and that's at least a benefit at this point that that we're well aware of, of what Syracuse is capable of this season in, in in both the best and worst lights. I don't know. Did you get a chance to watch like the UNC game? I assume not because I didn't. Yeah. And, uh, no, I actually oh, did? I actually watched almost all of it. <laughs> <laughs> it was up against something like way more uh, important. No, well, the me. thing is, Michigan, Wisconsin was such a wash so quickly that like I was just like, all right, time to do some scouting, and like just started watching this like awful game. And let's get to halftime, and then we'll jump back into this conversation because I have plenty to say about that game. I'm glad. I'm glad someone did because I couldn't. Bear, I, well, I, I just have left Michigan, Wisconsin on, and just like worked on some stuff because unfortunately, writing about UNC, the UNC Virginia Tech game. Uh, at uh, on a national level wasn't really flying. <laughs> and I, I think it was anybody's. I even I, I understand how that game made uh, made it onto national television in a primetime slot. <laughs> what I will say, uh, and I, I this is it, it's not it doesn't mean anything. Um, but I, I just realized it. UNC has two players on their two players on their roster, both of whom have attempted passes. One of whom is a wide receiver, and the other one who is a I think now an injured quarterback uh, named Chaz and Daz with double Z's. Props. Chaz Surratt, uh, who is, I think, out now, and he yeah, came in in one of these games recently. Um, and Daz Newsom, the wide receiver. You get, so, you get dueling Chazes, you get a Daz. Do they have more than one Chaz? Well, you have... Did you say Chaz was... Where the hell are the stats? I'll pull up these players. Oh, you're right. No, you got Chaz, you got Cade, you got Daz. You got Nathan. It's a very UNC roster. Chaz with two Zs is just, just elite. Chaz <laughs> 
What was the Cincinnati quarterback a couple years ago? Uh... You know what I'm talking about. We faced him one week. He was like never the starter, but he played like a lot. Oh yeah, because it wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't he Chaz. I think it was Chaz with two Z's. Yeah, I think it was Chaz with two Z's. I always, I, I always appreciated Munchy Lego just because of his name. Oh, he was so good. <laughs> Not many, like Bengals quarterbacks. Yeah. Big ups to Munchy. Big ups to Munchy Lego. So I think he played against us once, and it just didn't go super well. Yeah, Chaz. It was definitely Chaz. I just can't remember his, his last name. I'm looking up as we probably hopefully talk about other things. Chaz Anderson. Yeah. Chaz Anderson. Yes. Uh, we. I don't know why these things are like existing in my brain. It's such a waste of space. Um, all right. So I have a bunch of stuff. Uh, I had a fest beer uh, by Five Burrows um, a couple weeks ago, uh, which is kind of an Oktoberfesty style, um, which I'm not super familiar with. A little darker. Uh, I thought it was really flavorful. Five Burrows uh, consistently made really good stuff here in the city. Um, I had some Old Factory Pilsner by Two Roads, uh, which is delicious uh, as far as Pilsners go. Um, I had a uh, Sour Apricot Peach by Edmund Ost, which I believe is a South Carolina brewery, um, which was what it, what it sounds like. Uh, very sour. Uh, pretty refreshing, though. Uh, I had a Psychokinesis by Grimm, uh, which I've had a bunch of very good. Uh, a, tiny, a Tiny Beautiful Something by Main NBC. Um, not my favorite main beer thing, uh, but quite good. Nice pale ale. Uh, I had a bunch, couple of different pumpkin things. Uh, a Good Dord by Cedar City, which I thought was really, really good. It was uh, more more of a like a darker, more uh, a little boozy uh, Imperial. Definitely tasted more uh, like natural, for lack of a better word, than a lot of the pumpkins do. Uh, I had some pumpkin days it's that time of year. Um, I also had the cold-pressed coffee pumpkin, which I didn't like as much. I appreciated what they did there with Southern Tier, but I thought the, uh, I don't know, I didn't think the, the bitterness worked as well with the pumpkin flavor, but it was it was definitely interesting. Uh, and then I had some Aladash White, so nice, nice, well-rounded list over the last couple weeks, I think. Very nice. I, uh, I really haven't gone out much because I've been relegated to my home of late with a newborn, but... I did have my fridge stocked with some stuff, uh, so wrapped up a six-pack of Beechwoods LBC, um, Session IPA, the four-pack of Spaceways from Modern Times that I had, um, grabbed some pumpkin beers for my wife now that she can drink again. She wanted to have some, so I had the uh, Schlafly, had their pumpkin ale that was actually pretty good, um, and got out here. Uh, the Lost Abbey down in San Diego, uh, San Marcos area. Uh, released a new farmhouse lager in six packs that was like super super good um just really like crushable like enjoyable lighter beer my work had actually bought me a uh victory golden monkey six pack they're uh, belgian triples so they're uh, they're actually pretty hefty abv wise so i uh, didn't like dive too far down that rabbit hole uh only because if i'm gonna go high abv i have a lot of like barrel aid stuff and other things sitting around my fridge too um did have a Shipyard Smash Pumpkin. Uh, that one's always excellent. Uh, also had an Allagash White on my end. Had a Deschutes, their uh, Hopzite uh, Autumn IPA. That one was okay. Not the not the best thing I ever had, not the worst. It's from Celador uh, that I've mentioned a couple times up around here. Their uh, Carrot King. It was a Carrot Lambic, which sounds really weird on paper, and it looks really weird because it is like bright orange. Uh, but it was actually super good, and I was very, very shocked by how like much I enjoyed this beer. <laughs> I saw you post about that. I was intrigued. 
yeah, it uh, it was definitely really good. I I would highly recommend if anyone can find some extra bottles. They really didn't make t- a ton. Wrapping this up, had a night owl pumpkin ale from Elysian, um, and then grabbed from my beer fridge uh, is ticking clock. It's a just imperial uh, coconut version of their oh, imperial barrel aged coconut version of Smog City's uh, typical coffee porter. So that one was pretty good too. And uh, unlike most uh, barrel aged options, it was a very very manageable eight point seven percent alcohol. So uh, definitely a fan of that one. And yeah, sorry for the for the length of the beer post, but it's been a it's been a while, so I had to catch up. I think I think people will will understand given the situation here. It is one of the main features of this podcast, for better or for worse. <laughs> some for some of you maybe worse. Who knows? <laughs> Anyway, um, so yeah, the UNC game. Um, I was watching, I watched almost all of it. I think I like skipped out for a little bit, just like eat. Um, and then like came back to it. Um, it was super weird. Would not recommend it to anyone. UNC writers were claiming that UNC left like 24 points on the board. I mean, maybe. But at the same time, like they also just didn't really play well enough to score those 24 points. So that's kind of on them. Um, I think leaving them on the board implies that you should have scored them or would have scored them. Um, yeah, their uh, their passing game was efficient but bad, which is a thing I didn't know was possible. Uh, their run game was actually pretty good. Uh, Michael Carter had 18 carries, 165 yards. Uh, Virginia Tech's defense is just not good this year. You can pretty much just run on them at will. Um, and also, they completed a couple of long passes, and it's really like the bulk of their... Uh, their passing production, which, yeah, they uh, they also, which I found notable and something worth highlighting on Twitter, um, at the end of the game, after they allowed a uh, swing pass to the tight end, or maybe it was the fullback, I forget which, to for Virginia Tech to take the lead at 20-19, to 19, um, they then ran the exact same play uh, to get the 2-1 conversion, and it worked both times, and the receiver was wide open. So, I actually did see that and was like, "What is happening here?" I was like, oh, I, I was like this, "I'm fine with this. Like, if we want to, if they they would like to do anything that that to just let us do that all game." I, I always enjoy the, uh, the the bubble screen centric Syracuse team that just kind of aggravates the shit out of other teams while just completing bubble pass bubble passes and screens and swing passes and all this other nonsense, and eventually that opens up like somehow 20-yard holes for Eric Dungy to just, like, run recklessly through in the middle of the field. Yeah, I'm looking uh, right now at Bill C's uh, numbers for UNC. Um, I would not have, and obviously I haven't paid a ton of attention to UNC this year because they are pretty weird but bad but weird. I would not have guessed that their offensive S&P would be 107, but their defenses would be 53. <laughs> I, I I don't think I, I assume their offense would have been better, but I definitely don't think their defense is even that, like, that average. But it, I guess it checks out. Like, aside from the ECU game, which is probably the one that made the most lasting impact on me. Um, <laughs> Scarred people for life. Yeah, and I know ECU's not as bad as they looked earlier in the year and, and as they were last year, but um, they're still pretty bad. Um, and losing to them 41-19 to is, is not, not great. It just, it's hard to beat on UNC because obviously they beat Pitt, and obviously Pitt beat, up, Pitt beat us. I'm not going to freak out about two one-off uh, results in the ACC this year, or, or ever really, but definitely not in the ACC this year. There's just like, mashups are so weird, and this conference is just such a, uh, a crapshoot across the board after you, after Clemson. 
So I don't think like the the transitive property means much ever, and definitely not in this case. Um, they were blown out by Miami. Miami's not that good. Definitely not a team that should be beating you by 37 if you're any if you're decent. They they got blown out by ECU. They hung with Cal, which looked decent for a while, but Cal lost UCLA this weekend, so who knows? And they hung with Virginia Tech, who, which I mean Virginia Tech on a week to week basis, like what what are they? I don't know. Um, they're just they're too injured. Their defense just has too many pieces to replace. I think for me the the big thing with UNC in general is just how easily they turn the ball over. Um, and that that I mean yes turnovers are random, but if you have and I mentioned this in the you know reasons for optimism post last week. If you if you have a team that has a scheme and talent that that can take advantage of, of turnover opportunities, and then you face a team that has a tendency to trip and fall into opportunities for turnovers, um, that's how you get a game like the Miami game. And maybe, hopefully, uh, fingers crossed, you end up with a game like what we could have on Saturday. Um, SU has been incredibly opportunistic um, on the turnovers front this year, much more so than any point, uh, any other point during the Dino Babers regime. I, I don't think that means you know we're going to pick off five passes and return to touchdowns, but I don't see why, you know, SU can't get into some passing lanes for some mistakes um, from a, from a UNC offense that hasn't really done anything right consistently all year. No, especially because the quarterback position is kind of a mess for them. Um, do we know who's going to be going this weekend? Because I know they had, like, kind of a, they have an injury situation, right? Uh, they have an injury situation. No idea who's going to go for them yet. Um, it might not be Elliott. I know for most of the game, uh, Cade Fortin was throwing, but I know he got hurt, and he was in street clothes. So, yeah, it could pretty much be anybody. Yeah, it was Cade Fortin early. Elliott finished, but Elliott's been the more... He's played more of the, more of the season, so it, it's hard to... Right, but then Surratt was the starter last year. Surratt was the starter last year. He's hurt, I think. The, he, he was has... suspended. Oh, was he suspended? He was okay. one. He was one of the suspensions, and then he like lost his job while he was gone. I think he might be hurt again, though. I thought I saw that. Now he might but also be he threw three interceptions in ten passes, so <laughs> I don't know that him playing is like the best idea either. I mean, well, for us it is. Uh, oh, I mean, I would take him. I, I, just, I, would, I would take him playing, but I mean, I no, he's I, out for the season. Um, oh, he is. Yeah, no, I, I I've seen like everything after seeing that Rutgers passing line the other day, and and as I mentioned on Twitter. Um, if SU is recruiting against Rutgers, just send any recruit the uh, two for seventeen for eight yards and five picks um, line, and that's all you need. That, to that know. was art. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was performance art. Dan and I were, were earnestly debating whether or not one of us could suit up for Rutgers and do better. I, I think it, I think the yardage would be tough because I think eventually they would they would get the well. I think yeah, but I think you just need one though. Like it depends on if they if, if the other team knows the deal. Uh, if they don't. I think you could get it. If they do, if they know that the goal is three completions, fewer than four interceptions, and, and, and like more than yards. eight yards, I think the yardage is the toughest part there, but uh, it's definitely doable. Like, I think it's it's tough. I, I'm not going to say, you know, convince myself that I would definitely do better, but if I can just drop off a couple screens and, you know, make sure I don't take any uh, thrown inter- interceptions or at least come as close as I can to making sure of that, I feel pretty good about it. Oh yeah, I'm going five wide, but I'm never not having anyone run more than five yards from the line of scrimmage. Yeah, like someone has to. You, you're gonna do. Not that I've ever played P1 quarterback, but I can't imagine it's that hard to just intentionally avoid that kind of performance. Yeah, I uh, I, I definitely think I could do better than that. 
and, and, and I'm not one to say that normally. And, uh, and, and this would be like the, cause I'm not, I'm not exceptionally athletically gifted or even mildly athletically gifted. Um, and, and I do think I could, I could pull that off, but like looking at these UNC numbers back on topic, they're just like, they're not good, but they're, they're not like so bad that you're stunned. I mean, as a group, just four touchdown passes, seven picks, um, but three of those belong to Surratt on 10 throws. 57.8% completions, 6.03 yards per attempt, which is bad. And at, at some, to some extent is boosted by the fact that Daz Newsom's one, uh, one pass went for 43 yards, 1,000 yards, a little over 1,000 yards total. Like, this is not... This is not the type of offense uh, for either the run or pass that you would have expected, um, you know, when told that you're looking at a Larry Fedora team. Fedora, if you remember, brought in for, you know, kind of more of an up-tempo spread type offense, um, one that ran plays very quickly, uh, was, you know, a real nice culture change for UNC when they first got really good um, a few years back. Since then, uh, I feel like everything's kind of gone to shit. And, uh, and here we are. UNC is now a bad offense somehow. Anthony Ratliff-Williams at receiver might be good. Um, he's, he's made some decent plays. I dropped him from my fantasy team a couple weeks ago because he really wasn't producing. Um, and Daz Newsom is also kind of good. Uh, Carl Tucker seems like he all he does is catch deep balls. Um, and yeah, that's uh, they don't really have any key playmakers, and in part that's because of the suspension. So I think, for me, that's both the benefit... Because, you know, like it shows that they don't necessarily have a guy who can step up. But it also is, is a bit of a problem for Syracuse because now you can't necessarily game plan for one guy. Um, and you have like a very long list of players who could potentially touch the football um, and potentially really impact this game. I, you always have to hope that that's not going like, to derail your team. Obviously it happens where, you, you know, you have like the like new quarterback uh, issue where, where they can sneak up on people. But like there's enough film on these guys and I don't know how different they are. Um, they didn't you... seem that different. Yeah, I feel like they're pretty similar stylistically. You, um, you don't have a Scott Schaefer situation where where you only prepare for one quarterback, even though every injury report says otherwise, and then the team <laughs> throws out the other quarterback, and then you get blown up because of it. Yeah, like Fortin might be a little bit more of a runner. He has seven rushes for 61 yards, while Elliott only has 25 yards and 25 rushes, but... That's not such a huge number where it's, it might not just be like he had the lane for one big yeah. run or whatever. I don't I don't know enough about that. Overall, I think their rushing attack is is fairly dangerous as a team. They run for over five yards of carry. Oh, line's um, good. The O line's good. Antonio Williams and Michael Tarter are both pretty pretty good. Uh, they're both at least six yards. Tarter's actually eight point six. Um, the problem is I think they they played from behind a lot, so I don't know how much like how much they've been able to run those guys. Right. Um, Antonio Williams only has 50 carries. Uh, we have, I mean, Dante Strickland almost has 50 carries, and he's our, our like third or fourth rushing option at this point. How so, they played from behind this much and only have like 1,085 yards passing? Uh, well, Miami just like sat on them, and I don't know what happened to the ECU game. <laughs> um, just gave up. It's, it's all, yeah, no, honestly, it's all very confusing. So, yeah, I mean, odds are like this is not a very good team. Um, I, Bill C's numbers give us a seventy percent chance to win, which I think is down pretty. Uh, I think it's down a lot over the, over the last couple weeks. But like, my hope is that like last week was kind of an aberration. It was it was definitely a letdown spot after like a, a probably a pretty draining loss to Clemson that they they you know very much could have and should have won. Um, and it was on the road to Pitt where we just for whatever reason cannot win there. It's mm-hmm. not a hard place to play. 
other teams win there all the time. It's always half full, and yet we we just can't win there. Um, well, it was also the Butler absence that I think, you know, as much as people were were, were shit talking beforehand and thought it was going to be fine without him, his blocking I think that game proved without a doubt that his blocking sets up that screen game a lot more than anybody thought it did. Yeah, that's very possible. Um, and also, like, it wasn't we got blown out by Pitt. Like, we, again, probably should have won the game. Uh, we jo- jumped out to a big lead. We played, like, a really, really stupid game and then yeah. lost in overtime. So that's, it, that, that is the Babers dumb game. Like, like yes. <laughs> like, like, that is 100% like the outplay, like, play really poorly, still outplay the other team, and then, like, defensively just do some mind-blowing shit in the back end of the game to, to blow it up and, like, not to rehash this conversation again because we're going to talk about it next offseason. But, like, this this is, like, we said every single coach has, like, that flavor of dumb game. This was that. Yeah. Though, like, everything goes in spurts. Um, it, like, it's just very bizarre overall. Um, but, like, even, even with the loss, like, we've lost our two games now in a row um, by a grand total of, what, 10 points? So, yeah. 11 points. Um we're fine. So I'm not going to freak out yet, and if and they're both on the road. So if this is the Syracuse team of the first four games, I think this should be a multiple touchdown win. Obviously, the goal is just to win the game. Uh, if this is a struggle or we lose, then I think I think we have a real issue on our hands because again, this like if this is the team that is going to hit the goals that we've kind of set out and adjusted a little bit over the, the first couple weeks. Um, this is a game you have to win. Yeah, this uh, is this really is the good. second easiest win left on the schedule. Louisville being the easiest at yeah, this Louisville's point. Yeah, Louisville's just bad. Yeah, Louisville's hilariously bad, and, and it makes Dan and I look like geniuses for laughing at the over under for Louisville set at like eight, like back in the back in the off season. Um, I, I do think like at the same time you you look back after the Clemson game and the three easiest wins were Pitt, um, UNC. And Louisville. So obviously, you lost that first one. I mentioned the Butler absence. I think it's also worth mentioning that Pitt's kicker decided that he was going to be a Hall of Famer for a day, um, and was just hitting from from any and all NFL range possible. Um, then he proceeded to miss against Notre Dame, which really kills you if you're a Syracuse fan. But yeah, it's the, the last two losses for now. Um, we're in part based on a bad run defense, and I think that's something worth getting very concerned about. Um, but the other stuff, like, we're still, like, a, a handful of, like, really just either questionable plays or, or missed tackles away from being 6-0. and So, like, in, until until this team actively undermines itself, shoots itself in the foot to, to the extent that, like, they just take themselves out of a game, like, I, I'm not going to lose faith in what this team's been able to build so far. No, I, I think we've we've all probably swung a little bit too drastically uh, based on the week here. So hopefully we can kind of center ourselves and, and just uh, win this game. And then, you know, if we win beat North Carolina, we are, again, not like going to the Orange Bowl because we beat a bad UNC team. We are still probably going to the pinstripe bowl. Seven or eight wins and probably going back to the pinstripe bowl. I mean... Although I think one of the ESPN people gave, me, gave us Music City. And again, that is what I am openly rooting for. I want an excuse to go to Nashville between Christmas and New Year. I can think I can pull that off, but I, I just want the excuse. But I'll happily with bells and whistles on if we, if we make it. Literally the only bowl game I could even consider going to, given my current situation, obviously, is like the Holiday Bowl, which is not happening because we don't have a tie-in there. I mean, we've had, we've sent, I think we sent BC there a couple of years ago, didn't we? 
did we? Or was that the Foster Farms? That was, that, Foster, was, Farms. that was Foster Farms, which is now something else. It's it's something a little less weird of a yeah. It's in Santa Clara. That one's still tough. That was much tougher to get to than it is to get down to San Diego. Yeah, it's now the Red Box Bowl, apparently. Oh yeah, I don't. I, yeah, like I could go to the Red Box Bowl, but I really like like it would be very easy for me to get to the Red Box Bowl just from a like logistic standpoint. Since it's just a forty-five minute flight. However, it's trying to find a hotel or whatever in San Jose around New Year's. Trying to find anything affordable around San Jose. Um, the fact that you're still not in Santa Clara, you're in San Jose. <laughs> like it, the people that I know up there are all in San Francisco, so that's another problem. Um, if I was looking to stay with somebody, yeah, San Diego, which is not happening, would be ideal. Um, the most ideal would be the Rose Bowl, which also, again, not happening. <laughs> I, I'm gonna say it's probably not in the cards, but I'm not gonna totally rule it out yet. We are we are only four and two. I mean, maybe the Rose Bowl decides that they don't want a Big Ten or Michigan, Pac-12 yeah, team a, and a, also a good team. Yeah, they don't want a one-loss Michigan State team representing them in Pasadena. Um, is it? It's a minor miracle that the Holiday Bowl is still sponsored by San Diego County Credit Union. Well, San Diego County Credit Union, the the only reason they're still the sponsor on that is because they're still the sponsor on the venue. Though so I don't know how much longer that's going to be the case. Just because eventually the venue is going to have to go somewhere. Um, I think on the ballot this year, they're voting on the new stadium that would be multi-purpose for San Diego State football, um, soccer, which could potentially lead to an MLS team, and then like some other stuff. Um, but that would more be like a thirty thousand seater. So I, I think that they would probably. I, I really don't know what would happen to the Holiday Bowl. I know they already lost the Poinsettia Bowl um, because of the Chargers leaving. I just looked. There's never been an ACC team in the Holiday Bowl. That's so, not surprising. Yeah, probably not happening, but we can always hope. There's a lot more ACC alums out here than people realize. There's a lot of Syracuse alum. There are. We are We are now the second most orange state. Just ahead of New Jersey, which is a bit surprising. Take that, Jersey. No, it's because I think it's more just because just on pure numbers. There's just so many pure of number, us. I mean, yeah, I mean, Jersey's not a small population state, but California's giant. And also, like, the industries match up. Yeah. So. It's not too too surprising. Yeah, I would assume like eight out of ten are our new house grads out here. That would make sense. It would. Um, anyway, back to the game. I know we've said that a couple times. Dan, why don't we get to some predictions? Uh, what do we think is going to happen in this one? Uh, tell me why. Any other any other random factoids you might want to share? Um, I'm going to take Syracuse. I feel good about it. Uh, good enough. I, I I think it'll probably be a little more stressful than we want, but I think Syracuse will pull it out. I believe this team is still ball bound and is probably the seven or eight it's like the seven and a half win team we kind of feel like it is i think the team will i think it's a very good time for the bye uh, i think that fell at a very 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 good time um and the fact they're getting back with the dome where we clearly play better all of this is good um i think dungy will not want to have two very mediocre games in a row and i'm not buying the unc defense even being as good as the numbers are i, I and the offense just doesn't look good so none of the teams from unc really worries me except for a couple weird scores um and those were in losing efforts slash beating a mediocre pit team that we should have beaten so um i'm gonna take syracuse i'll go uh 35 24 all right you're sticking with the the vegas push uh no i think well where is is it 11 now or was it 10 when i looked started 11 i don't know if it went down to 10 i see 10 right now in odd sharp but it did change to change so what's the uh the over under is 64 Maybe. and a half. So I actually have a slight under there. Huh. 
Yeah, I guess that's fair. We are, what are we over under? I know we, I know we missed wildly on the Florida State game. Yeah. Um, I, I'm pretty sure we finished under on the, on the Clemson game too. Yeah, I think we're, this is like, we're one of those teams where they, they've set it artificially. It's kind of like, kind of like Alabama's spread every week. I think Alabama's probably under 500 and it's the spread, but that's because the numbers are so big. Right. Um, and, and people haven't really accounted for Alabama's yeah. defense not being that great. I know against the uh, spread, we're five and one. We are four and two. Yeah. I think it depends on the odds you use. Yeah. And then UNC, I'm looking at the odd shark head to head thing. UNC is two, two and one against the spread. Uh, we are three and three over under. UNC is three and two, so we're right on the money here. Yeah, I'll. Uh, I, I could see that happening. I've got a. Uh, I've got thirty-eight to thirty. Um, I think that UNC figures out quickly that Syracuse isn't necessarily going to stack the box because they can't. I've discussed this in the comments a little bit. I might mention it in an article later in the week. Um, Syracuse knows the teams are going to run on them at this point. Uh, Clemson and Pitt were both very predictably going to run on them and did so with relative ease. The problem is you can't necessarily stack the box because our linebacker play is not necessarily where it has been in recent seasons. We like to blitz a lot, and if you like to blitz a lot, you're usually going to be susceptible to big gains against the run unless your linebacker play is a lot better. Um, The other problem is if we don't blitz, which that sounds like the great solution, it's going to directly hamper our pass defense. And personally, I would rather not do that because if teams figure out that they can throw 40, 50 yards through the air against us as they have in recent seasons, um, that's also going to go poorly. So unfortunately, we're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place until the defense figures it out um, at the linebacker spot. And that's really where the crux of this issue is and the crux of where the issue is with the Tampa 2 for Syracuse in general. Um, That's probably a podcast in and of itself um again especially this year where we we said we were playing uh nickel we have really yet to play nickel um it's probably harming us especially now that we don't even not playing nickel we're still giving up a lot in the run but anyway um yeah syracuse 38 unc 30 i think that unc runs a lot on us i think that we managed to hold them just enough Uh, i think that dungy has a bounce back game i think it's not a perfect game by any means but does what he needs to. I think SU oddly abandons the run a little bit again for the third straight game. Um, that probably leads to some questions, but I think we do enough to, to pull out the win, get to five, and uh, and look pretty good um, optimistically uh, going into the last five contests in the season. Yeah, and, and luckily I don't think until we hit the Notre Dame-BC back-to-back at the end that we have to really worry about a superpower running game. Um which is what's killed us in the Clemson pit games. Like the the power run at the end of the game is what I mean. Obviously in Clemson, especially both games, they finish the game without having to really pass at all, and that is a problem just kind of by the design of our defense and by where our strengths lie. We have a good pass rush. We have a good secondary. Uh, we have a very thin linebacking core and also like not a great run defense line. I don't think UNC. I mean, I know their rushing game is pretty good, but it's like a certain style of running game slash having. Uh, a guy like Travis Etienne, who's like a superstar running back. Um, Quadra Allison's really good and kind of a power rusher like Pitt always has. I don't know that we're going to face something quite like that until we get to like the Notre Dame rushing attack, which is quite good. And then obviously Andre, Will- uh, not Andre Williams. Um, AJ Dillon, who, who, who knows uh, if who he's healthy. Andre Williams. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we'll cross that when we get to it. But uh, until then, I think stylistically we match up a little better with these other teams uh, than we have the last two. Yeah, especially Louisville, who literally can't do anything on offense and cannot run the ball to save their lives. Yes, Juwan Pass might have to change his name. 
<laughs> yeah, this is uh, that's, that's your cheap ACC joke of the week. I'll, I'll, I'll allow it. I think, uh, yeah, I think that's a, that's a good look in general at the rest of the schedule. I think, you know, UNC would be a good test. Neither of these backs for them are necessarily that big. Um, Antonio Williams tops out at two ten. Um, doesn't that's not the only indication of a power run game, but it, it, it's one of them. I am intrigued by what we do here. If we're able to keep the run game, I think if we keep them under 150 yards on the ground, I'm uh, I'm much more encouraged um, about our, our, our outlook for the rest of the season. Obviously, a win, I'm much more encouraged about our outlook for the rest of the season, too. Yeah, with, with the turnover margins and how our secondary has played, like, forcing anyone to pass, I think, is is the goal here. Um, the secondary has been good. We pick people off. UNC especially throws a lot of interceptions. Like, if, if we can make them throw, I think we're in a good spot. Agreed, agreed. Um, Dan, anything else this week before we uh, before we get going? No, no, glad we had the, the one week. I, again, I'm glad we had the bye when we were. I think it was able. we were all able to refresh a little bit, uh, get a little bit of basketball news in, and hopefully we can get back here and have a strong finish and, and get to a bowl. I could not agree more. Uh, anyway, Dan, thank you as always for joining. Uh, it was a pleasure. Glad to be back. Yes, glad to have you back. Of course, of course. Uh, everyone, please be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, uh, for Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast episodes on whatever service you may listen to us on, and uh, go Orange. Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion, and once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Huge savings on new and previously leased furnishings. That's right, huge savings. At Court Furniture Clearance Center, choose from our wide variety of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. You'll find sofas from $199.99 and more. Everything in our 9,000-square-foot showroom is Court-certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Visit our Chandelier Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off.